Please turn your Bibles with me to the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 13 today. To the gospel of an interesting story about Jesus and the church. And we're live. Okay, Luke chapter 13. What do you expect when you come to church on Sundays? When you walk through these doors, what do you think is going to happen? Time's a precious commodity in our lives. And if we're going to spend an hour in the sanctuary... We probably want to feel as though it's time well spent. I'm not asking you what you like about church. I'm asking you what you anticipate will happen when you show up. And how then that corresponds later to how you feel about it or what you do with what happened here. Expectations are a curious phenomenon. A few years ago, there was a study out of the University College London, which found that the key to happiness is lowering expectations. Researchers found that it didn't matter so much if things were going well for somebody, as much as it mattered that things were going better than they expected. When our expectations are exceeded, we feel happy. So the message is not to expect much. In life, and I don't know if we needed a study to tell us that. What is true is that when our expectations aren't met, when we don't receive what we wanted or thought we should have had from a person or a situation, it can make us angry and disappointed and irritated and sad. And then that can make us question our choices or cause havoc in our relationships. And then we can react badly to those whom we love. And then sometimes we end up saying to another, well, what would you expect? (laughs) Do you expect that to be different? In such a way that somehow we should have known better. We feel like we should have known the outcome of whatever ended up being bad. And the researchers would say, yeah, that's what we're talking about. Lower the bar. It's much better to have no expectations because then we're happy. When things turn out better, then we're never disappointed. We're happy with whatever we receive. Hold life lightly and then just walk calmly through it. But I was thinking how this idea seems contrary to what we understand in Scripture for our life with God. Because we're told to hope in the Lord. We're told to trust in his great promises, which are bold sometimes. We're told to seek him. We're told to live in resurrection power. We're told to expect the miraculous. Great things we should have. Because the God we serve is not hindered or bound by our expectations. He is the sovereign Lord and he absolutely acts on our his own accord. He's not limited by what we think and often will supersede our own limited imagination. Luke tells us a story today 
about what could have been a regular day at church. But it turned out far from ordinary, far from what people probably expected. So let's read it together, starting Luke 13, verse 10. Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, do not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame. And the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. Lord, thank you for being here today, God. Speak words of life to us. We are listening. Amen. We remember that Luke was a physician, physician, a doctor who traveled with the Apostle Paul on some of his missionary journeys and also wrote the book of Acts. In fact... Not only did Luke write more verses in the New Testament than any other writer, he also gave more uh, accounts involving women than any of the other Gospels. In his writings, Luke shows God's plan of redemption and deliverance. In practically every section in his Gospel, readers are constantly challenged of how they are going to respond to Jesus Luke has thoroughly examined every bit of the Messiah's life. And he lays out his stories kind of like you're with him in the crowd with the hope that you will be impacted by Jesus again and again. This is true in the story that we just read. How do we respond to God when he shows up in church in surprising ways? So as we go through this narrative, I want to point out four things that happened in the synagogue that day. And see how people responded while asking ourselves what our expectations are when we come to church every Sunday. So let's walk into the synagogue on the Sabbath. The synagogue was the spiritual hub of the Jewish believer's life. Synagogue in Greek means assembly. And it's taken from the Hebrew, which means congregation. Early Christians who began meeting took their cue from synagogue life. Many of the things that we do today are because of them. Prayer, music, study, sharing sharing life together. Because it grew out of life in pagan lands and people wanted to keep their identity in Yahweh, it was also the center of community life where children were taught and disputes were settled and decisions were made at all times during the week. During the time of Jesus, Sabbath began on Friday evening and the people would gather the next morning for service. 
Blessings would be offered to God, and all would recite the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Different passages would be read from the Torah, as well as other sections of Hebrew scripture, and short sermons would be offered from different people in the congregation. Any person over the age of 13 could do this, and they would rotate reading and teaching. You couldn't change what was offered. I mean, you had to read what they wanted you to read. You couldn't just off-road and say, I want to read this. There, were, there was a thing to follow. But this is why we have a historical record of Jesus teaching in the assembly, even at a young age, and in various places in his ministry. What I want you to notice first is that Jesus teaches us. When we come into the sanctuary, we should always have this expectation because Jesus is alive. He is here to teach through his living word. Those who sing, those who speak, those who give witness are merely vehicles through which Jesus talks to us. I remember being a teenager, being so bored out of my mind during the sermon because, of course, we knew everything. And we had been at the church thing for a while. My friends and I would just dissect the sermon every Sunday. The pastor was a godly man, but wasn't very dynamic or exciting. So we got into a pattern of being quite critical of him. I remember one time we talked to one of the other pastors about how bad the sermons were of the senior pastor. The Lord's getting me back. And... um, (laughs) He totally turned the tables on us to call us on our attitudes. And he was the first one to tell me that when we come to worship each Sunday, that the point is not to find fault with the show that's going on, but to receive from the Lord what it is that he wants to teach us. He said, and I remember this vividly, even the worst sermon has something for you to learn because the Lord will speak to you. You just have to listen, which is hard to do when you're being so negative. Clearly, this has struck me, stayed with me all of my life. Because we're not just consumers when we come into God's sanctuary. We are here to learn something valuable from the one that we call Lord on the journey that he has us on. Jesus was teaching in a synagogue 2,000 years ago, and he is teaching here right now. So when you come to church, what do you expect to hear from him? As Jesus is teaching, he sees a woman has come in. She is so bent over that she cannot even look anybody in the eye. We learn from Luke that she has been this way for 18 long years. Her ailment is not merely physical. She has a spirit. That is keeping her in bondage, which is causing her to not be able to stand. She's suffering, and yet here she is, part of the community, coming to the assembly. In many cases, we read how Jesus is asked to bring healing. People want relief for themselves or from someone they love, and so they ask him, Would you please help us? Would you please have mercy on us? Would you intervene? We recognize that you are from God. But in this case, that's not what happened. She simply comes into the house of the Lord. Jesus sees her and is moved to touch her and to set her free from her disease. There are many things to love about this part of the story. A woman comes to worship and the Lord meets her uniquely and directly. 
How many times had she prayed to be delivered? She still had not been healed, yet still she comes to bless the Lord. Still she participates in community life, faithfully living out her lot, believing that God is true and that he is real and he is with her. It is the Sabbath, and she is keeping that day set apart for him. When she came into worship that morning, she didn't know how she would be impacted by the one who had come to teach that day. She didn't know that he would place his hands on her, transferring his power into her body, replacing her weakness with his strength. When she left home that morning, how could she have even envisioned that when she returned, she would be standing up straight? For the first time, I kind of see her going back home and like moving things, right? Moving things back up where they had all been down below. Literally, the Greek here reads, she was straightened up. The Lord has done this thing for her. And how she responds is with great praise for God because he has not forgotten her. This reminded me of the first time Jesus taught in the synagogue, which we read about in Luke chapter 4. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Jesus told the people when he first started his ministry what he was going to do. He told them why he had come and how the prophecy was about him. And every day of his public ministry, he lived this out. And again, in this scripture, he fulfills this prophecy. He had brought good news in written, spoken form. And he also brought release for the oppressed in that moment. This woman is free because of his compassion and because of God's power. He came to bring real deliverance so people can stand tall again. When we come into sanctuary, we should expect that the Lord is going to show up in miraculous ways. That's what he does. Not always, but often. We've had healing occur because of prayers offered in this place. We've had people released from bondage and addiction because faithful people have brought those things to this altar. We have witnessed transformed lives and reconciled relationships. All over the world, people meet together in places made sacred by the Lord's presence. And they are met by the living God. When you come here, do you expect Jesus, the anointed one, to give sight to the blind and to release those who are being held captive in some way? This miracle isn't about this woman. It's about the God who came to be with us. It tells us who he is and what we should expect. What happens next is a bit of a surprise. The leader of the synagogue gets pretty upset. 
His expectation, his expectation, was that the Sabbath should be upheld, especially in that place. No work means no work. Now, that isn't the surprising part. What really is something here is how he goes after the people, as if it is their fault that this awful thing has happened. Instead of addressing Jesus directly, who actually did very little except to uh, lay his hands on a woman and declare her to be free, the leader excoriates the people. Can you hear him? There are six whole days to be healed. This isn't one of them. Don't come here for that. They we're not available for that today. I understand that the leader is trying to uphold God's law, but it just strikes me as funny. Should Jesus have said, hey, can you come back tomorrow? Today's not so good for me. But what isn't funny is that the leader should have spoken directly to Jesus and not blamed those who had come to worship. The woman had not asked for this. This is so ridiculous, but it kind of reminds me of the claymation movie, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, which was a big part of my childhood. The ruler of the town, Burgermeister Meisterberg, basically hates children of all kinds. And Santa has been bringing presents of toys, which the children have been enjoying immensely. And even though there's so much noise and joyous fun, which the burger hates... He grumbles and puts up with it until one day he trips on a toy and breaks his leg. Then, to exert his ultimate power and authority, he orders all the toys confiscated and no more to be made. No more toys. That's the voice I hear in this passage. No more healing on the Sabbath. Talk about lowering expectations of God. Are you kidding me? Whenever leaders of any kind take something away from people, because that something fails to perpetuate the system, be it familial or governmental or religious or professional, that's when we have trouble. Whenever laws are held up as more important than the needs of people, there is often abuse and impoverished souls. We constantly have to ask ourselves whether we are putting rules over people. His reaction dampens the rejoicing that the woman and the people had started to give. More importantly, it turns the attention from what God has done to how now the rules aren't being followed. Jesus doesn't let this stand for long. We can feel his anger here. The father has done a good thing, but the woman is made to feel shame over it. Jesus interprets the system God has given differently and gives reasons why. He is supported by tradition as he reminds the leaders, some work is allowed. Don't you yourself lead your donkey and your, your ox to water? In addition, surely the daughter of Abraham is more important than the animals. And if God wanted to free her, the Lord who made the Sabbath, shouldn't that be allowed? The principle of the Sabbath is rest. We celebrate the Lord's day. And my prayer is that you allow true downtime for yourselves today or some other day during the week that you call Sabbath. The Lord worked for six days and then took time off so he could model for us the benefit 
of stopping our work. There has to be space for us to enjoy God's beauty, to relax with family and friends, to contemplate, to just be. The Sabbath is a gift to us so that we might be reminded of the freedom that we have as God's children. It's kind of like recess time. We recognize that children need a time to let it all out and to play or to have a nap. If they don't get this, they get fidgety and cranky and overwrought. So do we. Jesus here is defending the people so they understand that they are bound by the law of God, but not always on how it is interpreted. For over 2,000 years, the church has had to figure out how do we live in the tension between law and grace. We still do. But in this place of worship, we should have a deep sense of the Lord's Spirit bringing freedom for the work that needs to be done in our lives. If you go to a place where the Spirit's work is being restricted because a human wants to impose rules, you should question that. Our expectation is that the church is a healthy, biblical, just, redeeming community where God's work is unfettered by human will. The people rejoiced because God was for them. The people rejoiced because he defended them. He was not against them. So this morning, how do we respond to Jesus from the story that Luke gives us? I don't know what people expected when they went to the synagogue that day. And I am sure what you expected when you came into this place. Often I believe that we think things will happen in a predictable pattern and that not much new can occur. But that is not the God we serve. The norm should be that we pray in expectation before we get here, that we begin our day of rest by praying and asking the Lord what it is that he has for us on this day. When we go into his house, when we sing his praise, when we hear his word, when we interact with one another, Lord, what do you have for us on this special day that you have ordained for us to meet together? What healing do you have for me? What rest? What hope? What message? What truth? What encouragement? What forgiveness? We should ready ourselves in expectation as we gather together, asking God to do what he wants among us. I imagine those who witnessed the woman's miraculous healing that day change their expectations for worship after that. So let's not be the people who lower our expectations so that we don't get hurt. Let's be part of the body who anticipates the amazing ability of God to do his miraculous work among us. Let's spend a few minutes in his presence.